In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On January 1st, 1981, my friends and I watched Georgia win the college football championship. Well, exactly one year later, on January 1st, 1982, we saw Georgia lose their shot at the national championship at the very end of the game. After the game, my friends and I grumbled and moped about how we lost. Then I had to drive back to the seminary. I could see how absurd I was. I was not going to see these dear friends of mine. I've been friends with them for years and years and years. And let a football game ruin my evening with them. How absurd. Sitting in the sanctuary this morning with the fellow saints of God, and having just sung one of the greatest hymns of the faith, it seems absurd to be unfaithful to Jesus and to have a false God. Yet you live under the constant attacks of the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh that would take you away from Christ. And so it's not absurd at all that one could fall from the faith. All of the lessons today are addressed to God's people in three different settings, warning against forsaking the Lord. Jeremiah was sent by the Lord to prophesy against Jerusalem because of God's people trading the Lord for Baal. Jesus, in the gospel lesson over 600 years later, laments over his people, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are set to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. He is the promised Christ come to save Israel, and instead his fellow Jews want to kill him. In our epistle, Paul says this regarding dear members of the church of Philippi, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they, their glory in their shame, with their minds set on earthly things. Standing from afar, it's easy to see the absurdity of the unfaithful in each situation. Ancient Judah traded worshiping the true God who had brought them out of the slavery of Egypt, given them a land flowing with milk and honey for worshiping idols engaging in cultic prostitution and sacrificing their children to idols. Some 2,000 years later, God had fulfilled his promises to Abraham, Moses, David, and Isaiah and sent his own son, the Christ, who is Jesus. And now, most Jews, rather than believe in him, rejected Jesus. And eventually, the Jewish leaders made sure that Jesus was crucified. In Philippi, Paul had given Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had now forsaken their many different gods and goddesses and believed in the one true God and his son Jesus, crucified and risen for them. But now some were deserting the faith by paying attention to their earthly desires and finding glory in what they should be ashamed of. Paul speaks of those who had left the faith in Philippi that their God was their belly and they glory in their shame. It can bring to mind a picture of an idol of a very large stomach with people bowing down before it, or maybe another picture of someone bragging about how skimpy their outfit was at their grandmother's funeral. 
However, this is no laughing matter, as Paul is in tears as he writes this. Those who had succumbed to the temptations of the world and their sinful flesh were now outside the kingdom of God, and they were going to hell. Now, we do not know exactly what is meant by their goddess, their belly, and they glory in their shame. It could be that these Gentile Christians are thinking that maybe following Jewish dietary laws and being circumcised is necessary for salvation. Or it could be that they're falling back into their old pagan ways. The Philippian Christians lived in a Roman city as part of a pagan world, a world full of all sorts of false spiritualities and a world with so many worldly temptations. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. These words describe your world and the deadly temptation you are subject to every day of your lives. Glorying in their shame is so common in this world. You live in a world where it's considered good for women to show more skin, where you can have a pride month in what is shameful and contrary to God's will, where men brag about how many women they've been with, and where some even brag about their abortions. You live in a world where there's so little shame and so much glorying in sinful activity. In schools, colleges, textbooks, movies, television shows, even most children's book companies now, a so-called inclusive sexual ethic is being promoted and forced upon our youth and those working in so many areas. I say so-called inclusive because there is in this new dystopian world one view that is considered dangerous and hateful. That is the biblical view of the true gift of human sexuality that is based on the distinct blessing of the lifelong union of man and woman in marriage. Less obvious but more insidious is the God of the belly. The new sexual ethos is of our age is really an outcropping of the shift from each person wanting to, of being seen in relationship to others and responsible to the world and to their God as now wanting to live for their own pleasure or their own self-fulfillment. You hear these terms, be yourself, find yourself, do what you want. You live where the catechism of the world is that each person is constructing their own self and their own happiness. They become a god to themselves, and this is a temptation also for you. So happiness and fulfillment are found in what pleases you without regard for God's will or the long-term good of your neighbor. Luther clearly saw this sin in his explanation to the first commandment in the large catechism. Here's what this brilliant opening of this large catechism says. What does it mean to have a god? Answer. A God means that from which we are to expect all good and which we are to find refuge in all distress. Distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. As I've often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone both make God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Now I say whatever you set on your heart on and put your trust in, 
is truly your God. Luther is saying that your God is whatever you look to for your good in your life or help in time of trouble in your daily world, even your hourly world. Now this echoes Deuteronomy where God says that we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and might. The temptation of the self to be God rather than the true God is constant. It's constant to put something or someone ahead of the Lord. So the warning of Paul to the Philippians is also a warning to you. But this passage is a passage of encouragement to the people of God at Philippi. The encouragement for the Philippians is also your encouragement as you too have Jesus who humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. The real absurdity is that the king of the universe would love a sinner like you and me enough to suffer and die for us. How absurd. But praise God, that is the truth. Jesus is crucified and risen for you. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus who deemed you worthy of his death for your sins. He loved you enough to die the most shameful deaths so that you would have the most glorious life in his name. In our lesson today, there's a warning about those who've left the faith, but there are these comforting words, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, your real homeland is in heaven with Jesus. He is the true God who loved you enough to be your humble servant, Savior. He died and rose again for the purpose of having you with him forever. He ascended into heaven to reign over his church, and from heaven he is planning to return to receive you, all of you, into his new heavens and his new earth, the new Jerusalem, where he will wipe every tear from your eyes. Now your citizenship as in heaven might better be translated as your homeland exists in the heavenly places with Jesus. He has won for you forgiveness of sins. You are baptized into his name. He gives you this day his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. This supper is a foretaste of the feast to come when Jesus comes back. He is coming back. And as Christians, this is our hope, our joy, and what we long for. You long to see Jesus. And on that day when Jesus comes back, he will give you a glorious body, like the body he has in his resurrection. You will no longer suffer from arthritis, from pain, from disease, from suffering, and especially from the peril of death. You will live with Jesus forever in his glory and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. And that day, my brothers and sisters, could be today. And that is why there's so much joy in God's house this very day. My brothers and sisters, you have a savior and his name is Jesus. You live in a changing world that desires to turn you away from him. Don't listen to this absurd world. Listen to me, your pastor. 
Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you, knowing your name. Jesus rose from the dead, knowing your name. Jesus calls you by name in your baptism. And that is who you are, no doubt, God's baptized child. You don't have to find yourself. Jesus already has. You are his. He feeds you with his supper. He knows you by name as you feast at his altar this day. And Jesus has prepared for you personally an eternity with him in his new heavens and his new earth. And an eternity so marvelous that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man what Jesus has prepared for you forever. And Jesus, who knows you by name, will personally come back for you, all of you. He will place you in absolutely perfect new creation, and you will, with your glorious new body, be with him forever and with his saints forever. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen.